Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your, I guess, semi-voiced host, Neil Shulman. Uh, apologies in advance <clears throat> for the lack of voice I've got today, still recovering from the flu. But in any case, here to bring you another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast after a pretty brutal 30-3 to loss to the Oregon State Beavers in the Las Vegas Bowl. Also, we'll talk about recruiting. Chris Yanes, my co-host, you can follow at Mr. Chris Bits, will be with us momentarily, as well as my other co-host, Dustin Smith, who you can follow at IAKOW Dustin. Before they come on, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. Of course, we're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, which sends underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We collect donations from fans and use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Gator football game. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a much better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it is run by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. And number three, I can personally vouch for them. They've got the personal stamp of approval from In All Kinds of Weather as they produced a new In All Kinds of Weather logo, the new All the new in all kinds of weather website, the new Gator Collective website, and they've got more Gator-related stuff coming over the horizon. So if you're listening to this podcast and you need help in any of the aforementioned areas, rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their services and rates, please go to stingraybranding.com. And with all that stuff taken care of, Dustin and Chris are with us. And guys, it, it was it was pretty horrifying what happens uh, on Saturday night. They say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but not this, because this was on display for the whole world to see. And it was really, really bad. So, Chris, uh, I got to get my voice to rest. So, Chris and Dustin, both of y'all, what in the world did we watch on Saturday? Well, well, first of all, Neil, it looks like you are doing a lot better than when we last all met earlier this past week. So happy to see you're on the mend and and back to, to hosting our great podcast here. Unfortunately, we don't have as many good things to say about our, our Florida Gators after that abysmal performance this past Saturday. There's no good thing, really, I can say that to come out of this game. It, it was pathetic. It really was. It was probably... I, I think this was even a worse performance than the Oklahoma Cotton Bowl game two years ago. That was an awful performance, too, but this, I think, is even worse. We were very lucky to score in this game, fortunate to keep that streak going. But to be completely honest, like, if we had not scored and the streak had been broken, I, I don't think it would. I would have cared as much. I, I, it, I know maybe people on this podcast might disagree, but really where I'm at right now is I want to see this program start taking steps forward, start building for the future. Nothing for this game for me showed that. So it was it was a pretty abysmal performance. Congrats to Oregon State. Historically great season for them, getting their 10, first 10-win season in well over a decade. 
and they earned it. They wanted this game from start to finish. They were clearly the better team. It certainly did not help that we had a lot of opt-outs. I think this game is a lot different if Anthony Richardson is the starting quarterback, but he wasn't. And we were dealt with a third-string quarterback who hadn't taken one snap yet as a Florida Gator. So it showed, and the results are what they are. And we have to talk about it tonight and then look forward to the future. Yeah, that's the thing that we have to make very clear. Uh, with Anthony Richardson off to the NFL and with Jalen Kitna hopefully off of the prison system, we had a situation where a quarterback who probably will not play again for the Florida Gators, keep it respectful, but keep it real. No, that's what we say. Probably won't play again for the Florida Gators, played for the Florida Gators in this one game. The team that we saw on the field was the team we saw on the field. That game will go into the bowl game record books. It will go into Gator lore. So yeah, there were opt-outs, but that was what we had. And that's what we have to talk about. So Dustin, uh, you you were you were probably even less happy than I was about this. So why don't why don't we give you a chance to discuss what what you saw and what you thought from this this dreadful game? Yeah, it was definitely frustrating because I though I didn't expect and none of us expected Florida to really contend for the game. I know that in the last pod I I predicted Florida to win, but even still. I didn't give us much of a chance. I think I said 35 to 40% chance to win. So um, I was disappointed because I expected us to at least compete. I expected us to be disciplined on the offensive line. I knew that we'd have – I knew that we would be under underhanded with without Cybo, but I at least expected us to not have any false starts. I thought there was a baseline expectation for some sort of excellence – because I thought we played pretty well against Florida State. We didn't beat Florida State, but I thought we played pretty well in discipline. So we definitely took several steps back. And for that reason, you know, we really put crap on tape. You know, you, you really play the bowl game to put put tape together for for either the pros or for an opportunity to start maybe the next year. I really think that I really think that Napier and company really have to go back to the drawing board in terms of developing a plan for victory. Yeah, well, you, you you mentioned a word that uh, there, there's been a lot of discussion about effort and, and playing hard. Chris, you and I talked off the air about it, and he he posted about this on his Twitter page. He he deleted it, but we saw from Princely Umami Ellen uh, a, a quote tweet where someone responded to the Gators uh, post game. You know, we lost or, or final score graphic. They posted a video of a certain rep that Princely had where he was kind of. I mean, he was he was sleepwalking. He was he was going through the motions. That's what it was. It's that's I don't know how else to describe it. He was going through the motions. It was ten nothing Oregon State at that point. It was late in the second quarter. The game was definitely not out of hand at that point. And he was Chris. He was being lazy. That's the only way there is to describe it. That's what it was. He was being lazy. And yeah, I, I thought that the few plays before that, like his tweet said, go watch the you know the the five plays before it. Yeah, he did play hard those other snaps, but Chris, we're, you know, you want, want to talk about building a, a culture at Florida. Your response when I brought this up to you was, "Well, he's human." Well, Chris, this can't happen. You can't have that happen. That's lazy. Your, your tape is your your NFL resume. You cannot have a program of guys that do that for the team, but for themselves. They're going to get asked about that when they sit down with NFL teams. What was wrong with this play? 
Like, Chris, what what do you make of it? Yeah, Neil, I think that obviously kind of I had only saw the clip of that and my reaction was, yeah, he's human. And I think more of my reaction was he's human. That's why he responded on Twitter, because we all want to in our human nature defend ourselves. We all do it. But I, it is inexcusable to give up on plays, take plays off. You know, in this game, it was easy to give up. And I think that it's okay to admit that that potentially happened. You know, I think that it was very obvious at the end. We we, we only gave up 10 points in the first half. We blocked a field goal going into halftime. If anything, Florida had a little bit of momentum going into the break. But coming out of halftime, we got demoralized by giving up a touchdown. And then we had the block punt into our own player that resulted in another seven points. And then it was just an avalanche from there. There was no recovery. And you could just see the body language on the sideline. You could see the, the effort putting put forth on the field. It just wasn't there. And in our human nature, it is easy to give up in those moments. But moving forward, that is something that we're going to have to instill in the players that are going to remain in this program. And Princely Human Ewing is one of those players. I think Princely had a very good second half of the season. We talked a lot about him. He put some good things on tape. That was not his finest moment. And I think going forward, he's going to have an opportunity this spring and in the offseason to really improve upon his game and come back next year and be a huge contributor for this defense because we will need him. He'll be a leader on this defense, in fact. So if, if Princely is listening or anybody that knows uh, Princely that listens to this podcast, let him know. You know what? We expect a lot of you. You were a great athlete coming out of high school. You have put so many great things on tape. That's un- That was an uncharacteristic moment for you. And if you were tired, fine. That's that's fine. It, it It's going to happen. But moving forward, we need guys to give their all for the, for the logo. When they, when they put that jersey on, the name on the front means more than what's on the back. And that has to be the attitude moving forward for everybody. Coaches, staff members, administrators, players, and even fans. Even fans need to start thinking about what's in the best interest of the logo instead of what's in the best interest of them. And we can go into a little bit more on that on recruiting and maybe things we need to focus on as a program in the future. But we have to start thinking about what's in the best interest of the logo. So, Princely, I hope that you you know rest up this offseason improve your game because i know that there's a lot of great potential in you yeah that's that's pretty much where i am with it i do i do though have this one have this one quibble with the word inconsistent and that kind of goes back to what we talked about on our, our season recap pod but this was a bad football team doing what a very bad football team does for those 60 minutes we saw in Las Vegas. And the word inconsistent has been thrown out there a lot with this team. They have a lot of inconsistencies that you're supposed to expect in year one. I I don't like that because if you're inconsistent at the university of Florida, it means you're probably going to win as many games as you lose. And if you do that and you go six and six, that's a bad football team. And I, I can prove it. How many how many teams in Gator football history do you remember that went six and six and you went, oh, those guys were good. They were just inconsistent. No, none, because that's not how it works. You go six and six and you're not remembered very fondly. So it's not worth crucifying this team any farther. I don't think we've done that plenty throughout the course of the year. But that was what was on display from from Princely. We can we can zoom in micro and just talk about Princely Mon Mielin over those five or six plays where the effort was drastically different on that one play where he's just going through the motions on that that quote unquote pass rush versus the, the few plays before it to 
the defense, you know, zooming out more macro and talking about them as a whole, they weren't as bad as they've been all year. 355 yards given up isn't great, but it's definitely not as bad as it's been throughout the year. But situationally, the defense was bad. Rashad Torrance got baked on a couple of deep balls. I mean, Trey Dean missed multiple tackles. How many times have we said that all year? Uh, Amari Bernie goes the wrong way on the first touchdown. Uh, there were more missed tackles throughout the defense at all three levels. Special teams, as pathetic as it had been all year. I don't know about that. South Carolina was was probably the goal standard for that. But you get a block punt that turns into a touchdown. You give up an 11-yard run on a fake punt. Uh, you miss a field goal. The offense was horrible because of the combination of the receivers not getting separation. Jack Miller, like I said before, keep it respectful, but keep it real. Definitely have seen worse QB play at Florida, but he wasn't very good. And the offensive line looked about as bad as it had all year, granted against a solid Oregon State defense. But nonetheless, that is a terrible combination. And the result was what the result was. Neil, also, I want to quickly point out, we didn't just get a kick block. We punted the ball into our own player. I mean, I remember we were texting at that moment and we were like, is is this special teams going to find a way to get failed after we blocked a kick of our own? And then I was like, no, let's let's take it easy. And then oh, right. we, that happened. And then we were like, no, that's that's gonna be that S. Spoiler alert for all of us, for all of our listeners. <laughs> um, I'm two out of three grades against special teams are gonna be that F tonight. Because that is honestly one of the most embarrassing plays. And Jeremy Crawshaw is a very good punter. I mean, this is a guy that could be an all Yeah, make it three out of three. There we go. See, three out of three. And I mean, he's a good punter, not his finest moment. Just I think everybody by and large, but really quick too, I wanted to make this point. And this can maybe be for discussion for everybody else. I'd like to hear Dustin's thoughts as well. Outside of maybe like a handful of players like Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, Ricky Pearsall, a couple of guys in the offensive line, whose job is safe next year? Honestly, whose job is safe next year? As far as I'm concerned, out of the 22 starters that are on the team currently that are coming back this year, how many of those, I would wager less than a third of those of the starters, jobs should truly be safe, especially was, with the amount of freshmen coming in, the amount of transfers likely coming in. We've already talked about a 40% turnover of this roster that's about to happen. Whose job should be safe? You know what, Chris? I, I was going to say Princely, but now I don't know. Not after that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, really, if you look at it, Jason Marshall would be one. I would say... Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne is 1A, 1B running backs. Ricky Pearsall, if he indeed, I think all indications are he's coming back. It, it That's it. Like, I can't think of a lot of guys. And then the offensive line, like Tarquin, uh, Barber, Igukon. That's it. Even I mean, white. there's just, and White, sorry, White. Uh, that's about it. Like, there's just not a lot of guys that truly deserve to have their spot back next year. We saw a lot of good freshmen, though, like McClellan, uh, Richard Freshman, uh, Desmond Watson come back. I mean, I think they definitely are going to be in the rotation on the defensive line, but I just if this this roster is going to look different next year, and it yeah, should. Yeah, I mean, Kawari Wilson probably going to get a starting spot next, but he year, wasn't right? a starter. I mean, Tor- right? I mean, no, you're right, but I'm saying you're going to shout out freshmen like McClellan. Uh, you know, you got to you yeah. got to give him a shout out too, and as well as uh, Trevor Etienne. But no, I mean, you're right, and that's and Chris, that's the point, and that's where we get into the next point of discussion, but. I think we should probably do this uh, segmentally and just do the final word before we get into recruiting because we want to make this – we want this game to go away and bury it. So, uh, Dustin, before we do that, do you have any 
any final thoughts, any last uh, impressions or, or notes you want to get out there about this, this dreadful game? Yeah, let me just say this. So there's three things that I was hoping to see in this game that I did not see. So number one, I wanted to see the, the team play with discipline. Obviously, there was a lot of opt-outs, a lot of guys that transferred. We expected Florida to not play their best football. But I expected there to be some semblance of discipline. There wasn't. Okay, We know about the false starts. We know about the unnecessary penalties. We know about the routine occurrences of being out of position on defense. Okay. Going, I mean, if you go back and you watch the film, which I don't recommend doing, but if you decide to do that, I mean, that, I mean, rewatching that game is the equivalent of putting pepper spray in your eye. Seriously, awful, disgusting. But if you go watch the film, especially on defense, I think we were out of position more than we were in position on plays. And then offensively, our offensive line could not figure out what to do. A strength the entire season. So number two, offensive line play. Okay. I knew we didn't have Cybo, but we've 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 got guys that can make plays. I didn't expect us to be great on the offensive line, but I expected us to at least compete. And number three, I expected us to run the ball well. Now, I didn't expect us to run the ball phenomenally, but that was supposed to be a strength. And we could not run the ball. So those three things coming together, being undisciplined, sucking on the offensive line with the penalties and being and not not getting the right gaps and, 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 and blocking the plays properly. And then number three, us not being able to run the ball. And I don't put that on the running backs. I put that on the offensive line. I, and most importantly, I put it on the coaching. And, you know, I'm not I'm not calling for our coaches to not be a part of the, the program anymore. That that's lunacy. But. I had high hopes for this staff, and I know it's only year one. We're about to be in year two, but it's difficult. It's difficult to watch this brand of football. So my hope, my earnest hope is that we we put this one to bed and we'll, we'll do that with, with this final word and that we'll get into an offseason, which it's not really an offseason because recruiting season is 365 days a year. So we got to recruit, 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 and we'll talk about it later. But things have to get better. The def- just, Let me just say this, and then we'll get to final word. The definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. If that's the case, then we need to do something different, and we'll get to that. Neil, Chris, what say y'all? Yeah, uh, just wanted to point out, you want to talk about the discipline 11 penalties for the Florida Gators. Chris, this was a talking point of yours for most of the year that Florida was doing very well in. And this is something that I think is fair to say about the inconsistency label. Nine out of 10 times, I will fight that and say, what you say is inconsistent, I just call bad. But this is something that Florida actually, for a first-year head coach, was an impressive point of discussion that they were not killing themselves in the penalty department. But as the calendar kind of flipped from October to November, we started to see the penalty numbers tick up and up and up. And at the FSU game, they were a real problem. And now 11 penalties in one game, most of them of the pre-snap variety. 
You have, you have back-to-back false starts. You have a false start coming after a timeout. You line up offside also coming out of a timeout. Guys, I don't care that they're true freshmen. I, I simply do not care. That's not okay. That's not excusable. If you're going to be hustling and deliver a hit that's a, a step and a half out of bounds, fine. Hustle. Live with that. You can't have these pre-snap and post-snap penalties. It's unacceptable, and it will kill the Florida Gators from moving forward and achieving the things that they're supposed to achieve. So that said, final word. Guys, we'll be quick with this. We have a lot of recruiting to talk about, and this game was just absolutely mortifying. So let's be done with this as quick as possible. Play of the game for you. We'll start with you, Dustin, was what? I think there are several plays that you can kind of call the play of the game, but I'm going to go with the uh, – <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to go with the, with the kick. The special teams – was abysmal, and we'll, we'll discuss that further with our grades very emphatically. But the kick by Mahalik to give us three points and take our streak from 435 to 436 games in a row uh, with scoring something, um, and that includes, of course, our, our 27-2 to defeat uh, by Florida State. Um, in the uh, the mid 2010s, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go any further with that. Um, I'm gonna go with that kick. It was it was big time for us, and uh, I know a lot of Gator fans were celebrating it. Kind of an awkward celebration because you know <laughs> losing by 27 points instead of 30 shouldn't be a means for a celebration. But we found something to be happy about. <laughs> kind of hysterically, to be honest. How about you, Chris? My play of the game, you know, I normally have like a play where I, I, I try to shout out the Gators. There's nothing. There's just there, there's nothing. So the play of the game for me is the block kick into our own player. It just completely personified the game, the way it went. I mean, it was a 17-point game at that point. There was no way in heck we were going to come back down 24-0. So that was the end of the game when that happened. So for me, the play of the game was the block kick into our own player. Yeah, for me, it was the first touchdown for Oregon State, or, or should I say the game-winning touchdown for Oregon State to make it 7 nothing because Florida never mounted a scoring threat until it was way too late. Uh, Amari Bernie, I got a lot of good things to say about him this year. He put a lot of good stuff on tape. We'll always remember fondly that, that pick he had against Cam Rising, but he goes the wrong way. He sees there's a guy running the other way. It's a, it's a reverse. There's a little pop pass where the guy just tosses the ball, maybe six inches up and the receiver coming the other way, kind of a jet sweep, but it, there's a, it, it's a toss as opposed to a handoff. And he sees the guy cutting to his right. And his first step, once he's cleared the offensive line is the wrong way. You know, can't do that. And I know I hope he learns from it. I hope he just, you know, looks at the game tape and says, ah, I see the guy sprinting the other way. I maybe should not take my first step the wrong way like that. But when he when he took that step, it was over. And it was seven nothing Oregon State. And that was the game because Florida never got in the end zone. So that was my play. Uh player of the game for y'all. And I'm gonna bar you from picking a gator. Is who? Well, forgive me. I'm not a I I would say that. I would probably go the dual quarterback route. Uh, their names are escaping me right, right now. The dual quarterback, the game, they, I love what the Oregon State coach did. Ben Branson and Tristan Gebbia. Gebbia, yeah. The, I, I'll go with those two. The, uh, 
Their head coach did a fantastic job of shuffling in quarterbacks like Steve Spurrier used to do vintage in the late 90s with like Doug Johnson and Jesse Palmer and Noah Brandeis, all those kind of dudes. You know, they played a great game. They didn't let the game get away from them. They didn't turn the ball over. They managed it. And that was the only way Florida was going to have a shot to win this game was to get turnovers and get field position. And that was a statistic I said was the key to the game was field position. Our field position was absolutely atrocious in this game. And it was a lot in part to do these quarterbacks because they didn't turn the ball over. They drove the ball down the field and they they controlled the clock. So, Gidea and uh, was it Thompson? Go Branson. Go Branson. Those two are my players of the game. Dustin, uh, what say you? Yeah, well, I was going to go with Derek Wingo, but based on what you said, I had to kind of scrounge for a name. So, I'm going to go with Deshaun Fenwick from Oregon State. He, he was um, – the running back that just had his way with us. He had 5.1 yards per carry, 107 uh, yards on the game. And uh, he played great. Didn't score any touchdowns, but he really he really solidified uh, that offensive attack and um, really helped secure their victory, which wasn't super hard considering what the scoreboard said. Yeah, if that name, Deshaun Fenwick, sounds familiar, he's my player of the game, by the way, too. If that name sounds familiar, it's because the last time Gator fans heard his name, James Houston was truck-sticking him on his way to a sack of Colin Hill in South Carolina in 2020. He has gotten a lot bigger and a lot bulkier and a lot... I'm not saying this in a bad sense. I'm saying as a runner, the way we say Damian Pierce runs angry, this guy, Deshaun Fenwick, has gotten a lot nastier of a running back. He is a load to bring down. He is not the biggest running back you'll ever see, but he runs angry. And he, as Dustin said, 21 carries, 107 yards. I think he had a 30-yard run in there somewhere. Uh, good for him. You know, good to see. I always like to see kids who, you know, don't maybe have the best welcoming to the SEC eventually turn things around and have nice moments for themselves. Obviously, he was not rooting for him, but I just like to see good success stories like that. So for him, you know, Golf clap. Good for you for making some other uh, highlight against Florida, aside from that one. Speaking of, James Houston, by the way, now has five sacks in four NFL games. That's a new NFL record. So congrats to James on that. Uh, great. Guys, is it going to be – no, Hold up. Hold up, Neil. Neil, can I do something? Gentlemen, I motion that we all assign a failing grade to literally every – category offense defense special teams coaching do i have a second on that the defense yeah. actually wasn't failure for me 355 wow, that's yards shock. that's a shock i'm gonna i'm gonna go fail all the way around fail for me really fail. and that f for special teams hey just just let let the record state i am not the debbie downer now so basically you're fail except for defense which will yes. be a d yes Dustin, what about you? You're all fail? Totally. I mean, no questions asked. I mean, anytime you give 30 points up to Oregon State, I know they had a short field because of that special team's miscue, but it's disgusting. I mean, we, we were off off air. We were we were talking about the the recruiting. Now Oregon State is closer to Vanderbilt. We lost to Vanderbilt, so we don't have a leg to stand on. But they're close to Vanderbilt. They're closer to Vanderbilt in terms of talent 
than pretty much any team that, that Florida's played this year. And that includes Florida State, who Florida had a, had a chance, you know, not much of a chance, but they had a chance there at the end. So we, we did not play even close to our potential, even with the opt-outs and, and the transfers. And for that reason, you can't give anything but an F. Yeah, thank God for Mahalik's field goal. But other than that, special teams was abysmal. Yeah, ETN had some good runs, but he didn't. He shouldn't have had to run the ball out. I mean, in what universe can we celebrate running the ball to the 25-yard line when you, you have the opportunity to just take it to the 25-yard line and not run the ball on, on kickoff? I'm, I'm scratching my head right now, guys. So, yeah, all Fs. Well, Dustin, you know, what, what you said there may have been a hot take, but I'm going to defend you about how Oregon State is closer to Vanderbilt talent-wise than any team Florida played. Well, but Oregon State won 10 games, and they're ranked 14 in the country. Well, Dustin, you and Chris are the are the, the ratings guys or the star guys. You love those numbers. So listen to this. According to the 247 Sports Talent Composite, Oregon State is 54th. That ranks the the transfers that they have on their roster as well as all the high school recruits that they've signed. Oregon State is 54th in the country. Vanderbilt is 60th. That's pretty close. That just, I mean, for, for comparison, Missouri is 31st. Utah is 33rd. Mississippi State is 29th. Kentucky, 26th. Arkansas, 25. South Carolina, 21. Tennessee, 19. Okay, all that. The worst I said was Missouri at 31. Dot, 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 dot. You got to hit that load more button. 54th, Oregon State. And 60 was Vanderbilt. Florida was absolutely more talented. Now, they didn't have a lot of guys. They were shorthanded, but they're absolutely more talented than Vanderbilt. So to lose 30 to 3 is absolutely disgraceful uh, for, for the Florida Gators. So I think yeah, that's yeah, the no, place to, to end it. Perspective. Just real quick, to put in perspective, Oregon State was the 10th most talented team that, that Florida played this year. Now, Florida had an incredibly tough schedule. 10th most talented team. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm going to push back a little bit, though. I, I totally get what you guys are saying. Talent-wise, we shouldn't be in the same stratosphere as that. We should be rolling them off the field. But this is still a 9-10 a win team now. They were top. 15 in the country at the time of the matchup. This is the team that came back at home and beat a very good Oregon team. They hung in there with the best of the Pac-12. Pac-12 was actually a very good conference this year, top to bottom, pretty balanced. I, we got to give this team credit. This is They are now in the fifth season of their head coach. They have been building this program for a long time. They have taken in good transfers too, like Andrew Chatfield. Andrew Chatfield, former Florida Gator, he flashed on film this in this game. So, Yes, talent composite can also be misleading. Last year, Florida had the seventh highest talent composite. What did it mean? Absolutely nothing. We went six and seven, same as this year. So, yes, we should not be, based on the players that we've been recruiting in the program, we should, we should have ran a team like this off the field in theory, but that's not how the season was playing out. Oregon State was a better team consistently through this season. They beat teams within their conference, another Power Five conference, and they beat some really good teams along the way. So, you know, Oregon State deserves a lot of credit for this victory and for the season that they have. 
And I hope that Florida can build a program, hopefully to a higher level, but they do it the same kind of in a similar fashion the way they have done over the last couple of years, steadily getting better. And now to this point where they've gotten to 10 wins for the first time, I think in like 17 years, I think it was 2005, the last time they had a 10 win season. So it's been a long time since they've had a good year. And I think that on the subject of recruiting, Florida has to recruit better. So maybe that's a good segue into our next segment. Has to recruit better. That they certainly do. Last thing before we do that, though, shout out to Andrew Chatfield. That that kid was wronged. He was really screwed over by Todd Grantham in Florida. So I'm very happy to see that. He's a friend of mine. We, you know, we talked before the game. We talked after the game. He put out a tweet that may have pissed off some Gator fans saying he he upgraded. Just so y'all know, that's that's a little bit of an inside remark. Um Grantham is, was sort of making some remarks here and there that Florida had to upgrade its talent, and that that's why Chatfield left. So to say that about a kid and to say it publicly, not publicly, but to say it to other schools and to let the Chatfields know that that's what you think of him, uh, yeah, that's not cool. So that's why he said that. It wasn't directed at Florida or the Gator program or Napier or the fans. It was directed more a shot at Grantham. So take you know, root for the kid. He's a good kid. Uh, who was who taking a shot at the defensive coordinator that we all despise. So that's taken care of. Recruiting. The lifeblood of the program, we've said all, all year long, uh, you know, we'd prefer Florida to not crater on the football field, but losses are going to be acceptable as long as things pick up on the recruiting trail. So guys, it's, it's shaping up to be a pretty good class. I don't think we're going to be able to call it an elite class, especially after losing so many head-to-head battles with the Miami Hurricanes. Now there's buzz that, well, maybe we don't get the flip of John Walker that we thought we were going to get, also putting a damper on it. But there's all this buzz flying around about all these different sorts of things. So as we head into signing day, what do you make of the class as it stands now? And what do you expect to happen over the next 72 hours. So I think that this, I think this class is by far on paper statistically, and I, I can get into that best in maybe a decade. And what I mean by that is, I mean, obviously the blue chip ratio is off the charts. We're at 85, 86%, depending on which outlet you're looking at. But more importantly, because four stars have started to start being a little more inflated, the, 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 these outlets are giving more four-star slots to people. Let's look at the top 300 ratio. Right now, as it sits, Florida is at a 67% top 300 ratio. That could rise with some of the remaining targets that we have. We'll talk about that in a second. This is the highest ratio since the 2010 or 2011 recruiting classes. Those were Urban Meyer recruits, even better than Will Muschamp. In 2010, we had a, oh, this is according to 247, we had a 75% top 300 ratio. That was the number one class in the country. Those were with the guys Ronald Powell, Dominic Hughley, Sharif Floyd. In 2011, we had a 63%. That was a transition class from Meyer to Muschamp. That was the one where we had Jeff Driscoll in it. And then we dropped 50% in 12. 58 and 13, 38 and 14, 14 percent in 2015, 25 and 16, 43 and 17, 53 in Mullen's first transition class. Then we bumped down again to 48, 48, 
43, and then Napier's was 26. So we are at 67%. This is a huge pickup in recruiting of the top 300 players. These are the some of the best players. These aren't the all the elite players of college football. Those are more of the top 100, top 50 guys. Where I think we're lacking in those areas. I would like to see us get closer to about six top 100 guys in a, in a bump class. We're going to probably end up with four. We're probably not going to end up with a five star. We really needed a five star. We had our opportunities, but it just didn't come out come to fruition. This is still a very good recruiting class, and I think fans right now are getting a little jaded by the trolls of a billion, a rogue billionaire booster down in South Beach. And I mean, look at it this way too. Yes, we're losing battles to Miami and and John Ruiz right now with the amount of nil money he's giving out, but we've won some battles over Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. And can we think about all the times over the last 10 years where those programs have stuffed Florida in a locker numerous times? And yes, they won some battles against us this year. They're probably going to get Qual Rashad and James Smith, two guys we really wanted in this class. But think about we got Kelby Collins, right? We've got guys like Aiden Mizell. Grew up a Bama fan. Let's put that out there. Kelby Collins grew up a huge Bama fan. Yes, his parents wanted him to go to Bama. He picked Florida. And Aiden Mizell, Georgia wanted him. It, you know, so, I mean, there are a lot. Of, and I, I I go down the list of all of our recruits, but there were a handful of recruits that other major programs that had beaten Florida consistently for over the last decade, we got. So I think this is an improvement class. This is obviously heads and shoulders above where we got last year in a transition class. And it's definitely better than any recruiting class that Dan Mullen ever signed. Dan Mullen's recruiting classes where he got the top 10 rating were not really top 10 because those guys transferred out of the program, either didn't make it in the program, or they just faded on the field. There were not a lot of all-conference players in those in those teams. There were a lot of guys that have transferred out of the program, didn't make it in, what have you. This is a solid class. And if these all these guys pan out, by may, at least making it into the program. And then we saw what happened on the field. The best players, for the most part, this year were Billy Napier freshmen and transfers. This is a great staff at evaluating talent. And I I trust that the 67% of the good players that we've gotten in, and that 67%, Andy Jean's not included. Andy Jean, we've seen the film. He's a really good wide receiver. He should be a top 300 player. So I'm, I'm, I think that this is a good class, and I think fans need to really take a look at the improvement that we've made and the strides we're starting to make in 2024 with a guy like DJ Lagway and Miles Graham and Chauncey Bowens. This class, the recruiting is headed in the right direction. Yeah, so Dustin, uh, Chris makes a good point about the ratio. Florida having a lot of uh, a lot of four, a lot of well, not, they don't have any five stars, so a lot of four star guys, uh, but. To you, I mean, because I I know you, I know you like to look for those guys who are maybe not the highest recruited, the most highly touted guys. So, to you, I'll give you a chance to answer the same thing that Chris just answered. But in addition, what do you make of guys like an Andy Jean, like a well, we don't have a Tyree Patterson anymore, but like a Bryce Lovett, uh, and and how do you think that that they can possibly wind up contributing to the Gators? Well, let me just say this first, Neil. Um, y'all know me very well, and for those that have listened to the podcast for a while, they know how I am. I think stars matter, and I completely affirm what my my good friend Bill Sykes likes to say in that 
when you have a five star, there's a greater likelihood that that five star is going to be a star, no pun intended, rather than a four star or a three star. But there's certainly a reason why there's still some likelihood for a three star to be successful. So what does that amount to? Typically, a five star has a a 50 to 75 percent chance to be a star. A three star has a about a 25 to 50 percent chance to be a star. And then a three star has up to a 25 percent chance to be a star. So you look at a guy like Lovett, you look at a guy like Andy Jean, guys that are not highly touted, um, but guys that, that could be that they could potentially be successful. And and you wonder, you wonder um, what impact they're going to have. Well, case in point, look at a guy like Cybo. Okay, Osiris Torrance was a three star coming out of high school, went and played for Louisiana, and now look at him. He is the best guard on the board, inarguably. I mean, you look at Pro Football Focus. Okay, the the leading evaluator of talent in college for the pro game. Saibo is number one, not some four or five star recruit. It's Saibo. Okay. Yeah, he's a Gator, but you, but if Saibo is still in Louisiana, he's still Saibo. He's still that. So I look at a guy like Lovett, who, when you watch his tape, I think he's pretty good. Okay. Does he have some room to grow? Certainly. Look at a guy like Andy Jean. There's no reason why Andy Jean shouldn't be ranked higher. But at the end of the day, He's got to prove it on the field. He's got to be that 25%. He's got to be that 50%. He's got to be a star. So in my mind, I, I, think you, I think you ask a great question. So in my mind, it all comes down to, can these guys grab a hold of the college game? Can they get acclimated to the environment? I think they can, be, they can, they can have early success, especially a guy like Andy Jean. And let me just say this, okay? It, and, and, and Neil, I believe you said this before, but typically it's easier. The further you are from the ball where it's placed on the field, the the easier it is to uh, get in early. Unfortunately for an offensive lineman, it's kind of hard to make an instant impact. But for a guy like Andy Jean, especially on special teams, I look for him to have an incredibly early impact, even in that first game at Utah. Neil? First of all, before I say anything else, as we're recording this, I just want to extend my deepest condolences to New England Patriots fans. That that just happened. You guys are going to be hearing this after the fact, but that just happened as we're recording it. And I am so glad I was muted on the Zoom call as it happened because I responded very vocally to that. Chris is laughing hysterically in the background, also muted. Um, yeah, so... To me, I think there's something to be said, <clears throat> as as Chris talked about in great detail, and as I asked Dustin about about the fact that everyone, pretty much everyone in this Florida class is a four star. Uh, you know, not so much the offensive linemen, but as I've said many times, and I think Dustin agrees with this, it's harder to evaluate offensive linemen unless you're an, a Michael Orr type, and it's just impossible to to miss on you in terms of evaluation. It's kind of hard to to get a four-star ranking because there's so many things that you can't know just from watching from so far away. 
Um, you know, you, and you, you can't measure speed. You can measure, I guess, bench press reps, but it, it's it's just so much harder. Uh, and to, to put it very, very bluntly, it's just so much harder to evaluate those guys. But the skill position guys, the linebackers, the defensive guys are all four stars that Florida has. A guy that I that everyone in Florida circles is talking about as a recruiter, Traylon Webb, I don't think people appreciate what he can do as a running back. Go watch his tape from Trinity in Jacksonville, Florida. He is a baller. Watch the high school tape of Gavin Hill, a guy that's lost because Florida has six defensive linemen in this class, which is why I I always say I don't care as much about stars. Yeah, they, they do matter. Uh, but not it's not an exact science. I care more about the fact that Florida is loading up at a position of massive need with six guys on the defensive line, all of four-star caliber. And that's where you say, well, the scouts can't possibly have missed on six different guys. And that's where you look at the depth. Gavin Hill, Isaiah Nixon coming off the edge, uh, Will Norman, TJ Searcy, Cameron James, Kelby Collins. These are all guys that can step on the field and play at a very high level. And the, the fact of the matter is there are not six defensive linemen roles. You don't line up with six defensive linemen nine out of ten times unless you're in a goal line package. You just you don't do it. But Florida's got these guys. Well, that means Florida is establishing depth at those positions. I'm a big fan of seeing that. And Florida is also loading up at a position of need at wide receiver. With Aiden Mizell, we talked about Andy Dean. Eugene Wilson, some fans talking about him. Sure. Oh, look at that play he made. Oh, wow. Look at that. Oh, do you see this guy's hype? But it's not as widespread. People aren't talking about him as much as they are the headliners like a Jaden Rashada, who, of course, as the quarterback, is going to get a lot of the attention. He deserves it, especially after the way we initially lost him to Miami and then had to get him back at about, what was it, Chris, 12.45 in the morning Eastern time. So, yeah, he's getting a lot of the ink, but Florida has pieces there. And here's where I like to compare Florida's class to Miami's because Miami's is ranked higher, but... If you're going to be one of those numbers guys that loves to check out the nitty gritty X's and O's, you know, advanced analytics on the class, look at the class average. Florida's is higher. Why? Because Miami is getting their five stars and they've, they've got a bunch of them. Um, you know, Francis Maligola is a guy I really wanted Florida to get. But whereas Miami has five or six of those guys, They've also filled out their class with a lot of three-star guys that Florida, in some cases, didn't even offer. In a lot of cases, offered as, I, I hate the term, but a, a non-committable offer. Or or they offered him purely for depth purposes and not ever expected to really play him. And then you've got some miscellaneous cases like, like Tommy Kinsler, I guess, falls in that category. Uh, but a kid that Florida wasn't ever really expecting to ever be a big time player for the Florida Gators. And that's the kind of player that occupies almost half of Miami's class. So I, I understand that people are, are freaking out about some of the losses. I don't like losing kids to John Marie's in Miami. I really did not like losing Corbani McLean in the fashion we did, but I think for the most part, Florida is addressing needs 
They got their QB, the most important position out there. I wish they would do more on the offensive line, but Roderick Kearney was a big flip from FSU. They got two other pieces on the offensive line. They'll probably have to go portal to get more, but on the whole, I think it's very difficult to be outright upset. Could Florida have done better? Yes, I would have liked to have gotten John Walker. I would have loved to have gotten Cormani McLean. I would have liked to have gotten Desmond Ricks, which does not look like it's going to happen. But I think it's very hard to complain about the class as it is right now. Yeah, I think that, you know, kind of just um, based on some of the intel that we're starting to see come in, other people reporting it, it would not shock me if Florida doesn't sign a lot of additional prospects that are already committed in the class Wednesday. That being said, I do believe that we're going to be highly active in the transfer portal. We're going to have to be to fill the remainder roster, remaining roster spots. And, and of course, some targets might emerge too in, for January into February. Guys that don't sign for whatever reason, we could potentially pursue them. But I do believe we're going to be incredibly active in the transfer portal this offseason in the next couple of weeks. I think there are guys currently that are playing bowl games that haven't officially announced that they're entering the transfer portal and that they will be targets of this staff at some major positions of need. So I, I do anticipate a lot of activity. Some things to note, though, we were actually just talking about Andy Jean. It was reported that Andy Jean actually did, in fact, go on an official visit to Florida State this past weekend. That is a recruitment that we're going to have to close on in the 11th hour to keep him home. I think we keep him in the class, but Florida State's certainly making things interesting. They had a good season on the field. The quarterback situation is a lot more steady than ours right now. They know who their quarterback is going to be next year, even though he will likely not be there the following year. But still, nonetheless, that's a team that is making a push for one of our priority tar our priority commitments that we were just talking about. John Walker, obviously the news there. I don't think that recruitment's over. I think we're going to push up until the last minute of that, until he signs. We'll see. You never know. Recruiting is a roller coaster. It's especially a roller coaster with a couple of days until signing day. Mark Fletcher went to Miami this past weekend. It sounds like the Hurricanes made a very good impression. And if and Miami has done a very good job on closing on prospects against this year, I think that's a commitment that we can't necessarily bank on. And it's anybody's guess now where that goes. Hayden Jones, another offensive lineman. We'd love to have another offensive lineman in the class. This is a little bit of a developmental prospect, as we've talked about in the past, but great, great size that could definitely turn into an SEC tackle. At Texas A&M had a good impression on him, too, this weekend. I think that's a 50-50 battle now. So there was a couple of prospects. And Jordan Hall, uh, many believe, has been a long-time Georgia lean, but Florida made a great impression on him at his official visit a couple of weeks ago. So we'll see. You never know. I, I, I'm not going to count this staff out a couple days before signing day. They could still be, you know, obviously we can't have direct contact in person with visits. You know, they got we couldn't get any guys on campus this past weekend because of the bowl game. But I do know that this staff is going to be working very hard behind the scenes to, to try to get some of these guys to commit to Florida. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I would I would caution fans and and to say that I, I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that we're going to get many more players high school-wise in the class. I think that we're going to be putting a lot of our irons in the fire for the transfer. That's the thing that I think uh, a lot of fans need to need, need to understand that just because Florida doesn't have a big national signing day, it was it is every year, by the way, but just because Florida doesn't have a big national signing day does not mean Florida doesn't have a good class. 
Florida getting a lot of the guys that they're going to wind up signing before Wednesday is going to result in them not having a good National Signing Day because they didn't need to have a good National Signing Day because they locked their kids up before it ever came to that. So oftentimes Gator fans do conflate the two and say, well, we didn't finish strong. Well, yeah, I would have liked to have gotten John Walker. I, Chris, I know you say that's not over. I, I, It's never over in the era of NIL, but from what I hear, it doesn't sound very likely for Florida. Mark Fletcher, I think, is one that's more up in the air. I think Florida gets him, but that confidence has taken a massive hit after well, this weekend. I'm, I'm going to just break news. Uh, Steve Wilfong put in a crystal ball for Mark Fletcher to the University of Miami. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. I I was going to say that I was about 90% confident in him coming to Florida. And I was going to say that that confidence has dropped down to about 55. Well, now with that crystal ball, I mean, crystal balls don't come out of thin air. So something must have been relayed to him that gives him an, an inkling that he's going to be a cane. So Will, now, Fong, Will Fong only misses when it's for us. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. He missed on Cormani McLean. That, 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 he's never going to live that down. But yeah, I that I mean, even forgetting the crystal ball, I was going to say that is not a sure thing for Florida. Do not by any means be surprised if he picks Miami now with the crystal ball. That just kind of enhances that that thought process. But uh, yeah, I mean, don't don't expect miracles. Like, don't expect us to pull out a Quay Rousseau or a Desmond Ricks. That you know, those aren't going to happen. Florida has a class that I don't care where it finishes ranked. Florida did a good job in addressing needs on the defensive line at quarterback and at wide receiver. I don't think they they successfully checked the box of filling the need on the offensive line. I think Roderick Kearney was a great one. That's one guy. I think Bryce Lovett was a was a solid one, but you need more than that. They, they that that box does not get a check. That gets an X. They failed to to do that, so they're going to have to go to the portal to to fill that need but overall i think it was a it's shaping up to be a good but not a great class dustin i'll let you give your thoughts on this uh in a second but after you give your thoughts tell me because you're you know you're the numbers guy here is good but not great for the bump class going to be good enough for billy napier well the old chris y'all know me I said this before and I'll say it again. I'm a stars matter guy. I think you got to get the best of the best, but I also think you have to coach up the best of the best. We saw Texas A&M this year. Okay. They have, I mean, we spent a good portion of the beginning of the podcast talking about the talent composite. Well, A&M is number three in the country, if I'm not mistaken, in talent composite. But of course, if you look at their record, if you look at how, how they played, even Florida beat A&M. Okay, so all that goes out the window. You have to coach up the talent you got. So we're going to learn over the next two years or more than that. We're going to learn whether Napier can do that. So you have a class full of three stars. If you coach those three stars significantly better than a coach who coaches a class full of five stars, not going to happen impossible but just bear with me that coach that coaches up the three stars is going to be more successful okay you you look at a team like tcu okay tcu 
beat teams that were significantly more talented to, than them. Okay. And I'm going to leave it at that. Look, TCU's in the playoff, right? We'll find out how they do in, in, uh, in the playoff against, against Georgia. Right. But we'll see. I actually know that TCU's three. So they're playing, Michigan. Um, Michigan. they're playing Michigan, but there's still a map. Yeah. There's still, it's not as massive, but there still is a sizable talent disadvantage there. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll, and we'll get to that. So real quick, just going down the class, Florida once upon a time had a chance for a top five class. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. Do y'all think that's going to happen? I think based on what y'all have already said, it's unlikely. No you chance. Look at guys like Clay no, Rousseau, a guy that once upon a time really enjoyed his time at Florida. Desmond Ricks, a guy who looks really good in Gator gear. A guy who, if he was probably still in the 2024 class, may end up a Gator. I think he's probably going to LSU. You look at a guy like Jordan Hall. Okay. Either 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 one of those guys would would headline the class as it stands alongside Jaden Rashada. Okay. Going down the list, Mark Fletcher, now Cristobald to Miami. Okay. You keep going down the list and it's it's kind of hard to find additions to the class that is going to bump that up. So more than likely, barring a miracle with the aforementioned guys that I had already mentioned, specifically Jordan Hall, Desmond Wicks, Quay Rousseau, I think it's going to be very hard for Florida to finish inside the top 10. If you would have told me that a month ago, I would have said you're crazy, especially following up that big time commitment from Jaden Rashada. Okay. Big time. And I'm so glad that he's in the class. He's by far the most important piece that, that we have in this class, in my opinion. Now I'm a quarterback guy. I'm biased, but that's where I stand. What do you guys think? I mean, we had to all realize that even if Florida had a, a you know, the number three overall class, say in you know, mid-November, we had to know other teams were going to add commitments that upped those ratings and got them to be competitive with Florida in that algorithm that ranks the classes, right? So Florida jumping into the top 10 when they got Jaden Rashada, I think it put them up at number eight. And I do pay attention to that just to a, a small extent so I can you know, have a, a comparison point there. Florida jumped up to number eight, I think, or maybe it was even seventh for a minute. But we knew that other teams were going to land commitments. We knew that Clemson wasn't finished. We knew that Miami wasn't finished, and they certainly have not been. And now we've seen Florida fall because they landed more commitments. While Florida didn't really lose commitments, that they lost—I mean, a couple—they lost, uh, you know, Marcus Stokes because he said the N word in public, and they kind of pushed another guy out in Tyree Patterson. So those decommitments hurt Florida in those rankings. And other schools got big time commitments in the meantime that Florida was never really in the running for. But nonetheless, those commitments helped them in their algorithms and got them above Florida. And that's why I sit here and say, you know, yeah, the rankings do matter to a degree. Like if you're going to finish with the number two overall class versus another school that finishes with the number 17 overall class, the number two overall class is very likely going to be the one that produces more talent. When it comes time to the NFL draft. Yes, I, I, I acknowledge that. But it's not a precise science where you say, well, Florida 
yeah, that they loaded up at more positions of need, but now they find themselves, you know, nine spots behind Miami, whereas half of Miami's class consists of three stars that Florida didn't really want. Like, I don't know how you can fairly gauge those two things because Florida's class has a lot of guys that can play. I mean, looking at the offer lists of the guys that are, are lower in that Florida class, I mean, guy like, let's say, let's, let's say Gavin Hill, let's take Gavin Hill as an example. He's one of the lower rated guys in the Florida class. Look at the offer list that Gavin Hill has gotten. I mean, he's got offers from Auburn, Miami, Mississippi State, NC State, FSU, Wake Forest, West Virginia, Arizona. I mean, not a terrible offer list for, I think, the fifth lowest ranked guy in Florida's class. So there's depth there. There's just It's just a very strong class from top to bottom for the Florida Gators. And again, the, the qualms I have with this class do not pertain to the fact that it's ranked outside the top 10, the qualms I have are that Florida lost battles, that Florida lost out on Cormani McLean, that Florida lost out to Francis Maligoa. Yes, I understand that those go hand in hand. If Florida lands those two guys, yes, their class is ranked higher. But at the same time, Miami has a lot of kids in their class that I never thought Florida should have offered, like a, a Tommy Kinsler, for example. I don't I don't see a place for him in Florida. So it's a it's a game of give and take here. And while I'm not thrilled with some of those losses head-to-head, I don't think that finishing outside the top 10, even though there is statistical evidence against me, I understand that Bill Sykes is going to you know, give it to me for this, but I don't think it's cause for concern necessarily. I think that there are other things that Napier has to do off the field. I think that he needs to win more battles, but this fact that it's not a top 10 class is not what has me concerned right now. Yeah, and and we were just talking, and, and you guys were just talking. I was kind of just scrolling through, through Twitter. The fan base is starting to have a meltdown because they see certain prospects turning other directions, and they want to put they want to blame organizations like the Gator Collective for not coming through. Let me make something abundantly clear: for listening, if it weren't for the Gator Collective, we wouldn't have every three class. Period. Other people behind the scenes in the administration, NIL structure, they're not to blame for losing five stars or any recruits that we really want. What we need right now is we need capital. We need dollars. It's a reality. We need people that are willing and able to give five, ten dollars, twenty dollars a month to the Gator Collective. And we need big time Gator boosters who are bull gators. To give a lot more money to the Gator Guard or the Gator Collective. There's strength in numbers. We have 450,000 living alumni alone in the state of Florida. If everybody, if 10% of those people gave $10 a month, we could stuff that billionaire down in South Florida in a locker. And Miami wouldn't be a problem. And we, we'd actually be ahead. And by the way, people listening, NIL structure-wise, we're ahead of schools like Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, some of the big schools in the country. What we're missing right now is fan support. The administration backs the NIL efforts that we're doing. Strickland is not to blame. 
What we need is for people put the Twitter down, get off their keyboard, or maybe get on their keyboard and go to the Gator Collective website, subscribe, join. Because the reality right now is just that we need more money. We need more fan support. So maybe sacrifice a latte or two a month and subscribe and join the Gator Collective or any of the other NIL organizations that we have associated with the University of Florida. So people blaming it, it actually in Neil and myself, uh, Dustin's a big supporter of the Gator Collective. We're on the outreach team for them. And I'm proud to do it. I've been a day one supporter of this organization. And it actually infuriates me and angers me when I see a lot of fans drag good people's name through the mud because they're trying to bring a championship back to the University of Florida. They care just as much as you do. And uh, it just, it really angers me. And it really hurts to see some of the comments, people that sit behind a fake avatar in a, in a Twitter account. So if, you know, Y'all don't have solutions to the problem. You just like to put tweets out there for cloud. So my suggestion to fans is to put your money where your mouth is and start becoming a part of the solution so we can actually have recruiting classes in the future that are something we can be proud of and that are up to the Gator standard. Because if we don't, we're, we're just not going to have it. This is a good recruiting class, and it was – done because of the great efforts behind the scenes of people like Katie Turner, Briage Wade, uh, Tierra Griffin, Tierra Griffin, Billy Napier and his staff. This is a really good staff. These guys are going to get this thing right. But it's time to build an army of fans so that we don't have surprises like Hormani McLean happen again. So commitments like DJ Ladway happen consistently. And when that happens, it'll be because people got behind mission and what we need to do to bring this program back. So my link to the to join the Gator Collective is on my Twitter account at Mr. Crispitz. Neil Shulman has one as well. I would suggest you either going on any of our accounts and subscribing tonight if you're listening, because we really do need the help. There's a lot of people pulling their weight behind the scenes and we can't be bigger advocates for the mission that they're doing right now. So that's what I'm going to say on this. And uh, maybe we can, if anybody else has anything else to add on that, go right ahead. But I just felt I needed to put that out there because as you guys were talking, I was just kind of scrolling through Twitter and seeing some of just the irrational, irrational thoughts put out there. And it actually does really upset me because none of it's true. People don't truly, and you see a lot of tweets put out there. None of it's true. People have no idea what they're talking about. They just want likes on the tweet. Period. This is if probably... You, and, if, and if anybody... I'm going to say this one last thing I'm going to say. If anybody listening wants to know about what the Gator Collective does or anything behind the scenes, feel free to reach out to myself. Feel free to reach out to Eddie Rojas, Jim Grasso, anybody, Neil Shulman, Alan, who's also on Twitter and is involved, any of us. We will be completely truthful and forthright in everything that there's going on behind the scenes. But what we do not appreciate is the slanderous things that are put out there and saying that we don't care. And then you, of course, don't even support it to begin with. I mean, it's just it's just very, very difficult to take anyone seriously who doesn't support the Gator Collective 
and bitches about recruiting on social media. Like Chris, why why do you think I have so many people muted and blocked? Like I, I mean, you you get I'm angry starting to at understand. It. I'm starting you, to understand. <laughs> you get you get angry at it. I just say, nah, the hell with it. I don't have time for it. Block, move on. Just I don't because some people aren't winnable, but most of you guys listening to this, I would think, are because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this in the first place. So we don't want to be preachy with y'all. We think that you guys are the good guys. The people listening to this podcast are the ones that can help us, that can understand where we're coming from. Gator Collective is responsible for the recruiting success that we have had. We don't get Jaden Rashada without it. We don't get DJ Lagway without it. We don't get Kelby Collins without it. So for those of you wondering, well, where are my donations going to? Well, here they are. Here's one. You know, we we got a five-star commit at quarterback in each of the next two classes. That's that's probably as good as it can possibly get. No, a five, you know, two five-star QBs. So we're working, we're grinding, we're 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 putting in the effort to to get the program back to where it needs to be. But like Chris said, we we need help. You know, we we have a much bigger fan base. We have an exponentially bigger fan base than the Miami Hurricanes. Look at their stadium, or I should say their stadium. It's not their stadium. Look at the stadium they lease out every Saturday. They have a quote-unquote home football game. Now look at the Swamp. The fan bases aren't comparable. They just have one lunatic who happens to have a lot of money. But as the Gator Collective says, there are strength in numbers. So if we work together, we can beat that. We just need your help. I think that'll do it for this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. Definitely would appreciate that. Hope we close strong. Uh, I, I don't have particularly high hopes for getting guys like Fletcher um, or John Walker, but uh, maybe Jordan Hall will pull a nice surprise. We'll get something to close the class out with. And then, Chris, it's time to hit the portal. And we'll talk about that more as the time nears. But until then, y'all stay safe, stay healthy. That's a wrap for our 2022 Gator football season. Year number three of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast existing for Gator football. So it's been a pleasure. Uh, I mean, the football itself hasn't been a pleasure. But Chris and Dustin, it's been a pleasure talking about it with y'all. And you know what? In all kinds of weather, it's great to be a Florida Gator, even though this this game wasn't very great against Oregon State, and the recruiting class is not going to finish up as great as we would have liked it to. But always a pleasure talking sports with y'all. Go Gators. Take care of yourselves, and we'll talk about Gator basketball and recruiting coming up very, very soon.